easier to deal with. Okay. Anyway, I was told uh, that using puns is not good for interpreting and stuff, and so I, I guess I'll stay away from that. I was in a uh, uh, meeting one time in Mexico, and Brother Jerry Delaney, some of you would remember that name, was preaching, and the interpreter was trying to interpret. Brother Delaney didn't know English, little alone Spanish and stuff, so anyway, he's preaching, and he decided he was going to preach on eye trouble, and this is what he does. He's in this service, and this guy's supposed to interpret. He said, not this kind of eye trouble, this kind of eye trouble. How in the world is he ever going to translate that? Anyway, later on, the guy that was translating said, well, he said, I do what I do with most preachers. You know, they tell jokes. They're not funny. He said, I just tell the people at a certain point, laugh. And then and they laugh and, and stuff. So anyway, so yeah, you might be able to do that tonight. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, you might be in California if your coworker has 88 body piercings that are visible. <laughs> you make $250,000 a year and you still can't afford a house. Yeah. <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> you take a bus and you're shocked that there's two people having a conversation in English. <laughs> your child's third grade teacher has purple hair, a nose ring, and his name Breeze. <laughs> You have a very strong opinion about your coffee beans and where they're grown, and you can taste the difference between Sumatran and Ethiopian. Yeah, seriously, yeah, it's sad. A really great parking space can move you to tears. <laughs> yeah. A low-speed pursuit will interrupt any television broadcast. And this one is the worst one of all. Gas costs $1.50 per gallon more than it does anywhere else in the United States of America. That brings me to tears. But anyway, I'm going to ask you to go with me to Philippians chapter 4 tonight. Philippians chapter 4. Appreciate the opportunity to preach. Appreciate uh, Pastor Emeritus Lydic and... Uh, Pastor DiOrio, for allowing me to come and, and be a part of this. I've enjoyed my time and appreciate the opportunity to get to preach. There's a sentence I want to use several times. I'm going to change one word, but it, the sentence remains true even though I change a word. Most churches are as strong as the men of that church. Most churches are as spiritual as the men of that church. Most churches are as faithful as the men of that church. I mean, we could put a lot of stuff there. Most churches are as loving as the men of that church. A church is a living organism. That's an awesome thing. It has life. And you know, church services should have life. Should have life. They should reflect that we have what Peter called a lively hope. Lively hope, guys. Really. I mean, that's something, you know, I don't know, lively hope. I mean, it ought, to, it ought to do something for us. It ought to change our countenance that we have a lively hope. We have been saved, and we know where we're headed. We, we've got all the promises of God. As you often see in church services, we're not showing that lively hope. We're showing how tired we are, how uninterested we are, how bored we are. 
Not not to be that way. As we've already seen, men play a major role in church. And by all means, men should be a boost to the energy of a church service. And too often, they're nothing but a drain, a power drain. Instead of bringing life to a church, they kill the spirit. So many churches that are lacking Holy Spirit energy have opted for what is called an upbeat worship service. They're trying to infuse some fleshly appeal to bring energy to a service. And by the way, they do. It's just not Holy Spirit energy. Now, while a pastor should stand and preach against such compromises in worship, often he is in a position of a powerless service because the church is no power, more powerful than the men of the church. And you say, well, the pastor just doesn't have the power that he used to have. Maybe it's the men don't have the power that they used to have. I realize that both things can be a problem. But I'm preaching to you tonight. <laughs> You're not preaching to me. Okay, no, anyway. <clears throat> you know, it's sad when men aren't bringing their Holy Spirit energy into a service. And there's no life in the music program. Shall we gather at the river? You know, that kind of stuff. There's no joy in the giving. There's no power in the preaching. And I I, I would say that we all would understand there's a lot of reasons why men are lacking power, Holy Spirit power, but the need remains. And again, our churches are no more stronger than the men of those churches. And here is a passage that I believe addresses some things that men need to deal with uh, in their own lives to be what they should be in the house of God. Things that will contribute to a man being what he should be in a church setting. When things are addressed in these letters, often there is a reason for something being addressed. And I don't really know for sure what's going on there in Philippi or what's going on in the heart of the Holy Spirit that these things are addressed, but I do know that they may be some things like the following descriptions that I'll use. Maybe some of these men are in your church. Maybe it's you. Uh, I'll call these men. First one, Ron Restless. Cal Complainer. Eddie Emotional. Willie Worry. Ned Negative. And just to have a little international flavor, lackey peace. <laughs> I have a lot of Filipinos in my church, so anyway. Ron Restless can't stand still. You know, he's left other churches, he'll probably leave yours. He won't take a stand on anything, but basically he stands for everything. Cal Complainer is gifted in finding something wrong with virtually anything that's going on in the church. Hey, it's just a gift. Eddie Emotional comes to one service on an emotional high and he's praising God and he's blessing everyone that is there. And then the next week he comes in on an emotional low and he hates everything and offends everybody. Or he comes and he expects that because he's on an emotional low, everybody should, you know, have pity on him and steer clear of him and feel sorry for him. Willie Worry, of course, has a hard time making a commitment because he's sure something will go wrong. By the way, he seldom prays. He's one of those guys that when it's church prayer time, he heads to the bathroom. Ned Negative is an ingrate. He seems to think that anything done for him was, well, it was deserved. 
He never notices that things are done right. He only notices the things that are not good. He will quickly remark about what's not good, but will never thank God for what is good. Oh, lackey peace. I mean, he, he's troubled about everything. He's troubled about his job. He's troubled about his family. He's troubled about his health. He's troubled about the music program. He just can't see any good. So I want us to listen to what Paul wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church at Philippi. And maybe some of these things that I'm talking about, I'm calling them church drains, church power drains, uh, are addressed. So we begin reading in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4. Would you stand with me? Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm preaching half of the message tonight. The rest of it I'll preach in the morning. And so, but I want to lay the foundation for some of that tonight. So we're going to read the first 13 verses here. The Bible says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. That would address Ron Restless. I beseech Judas and beseech sympathy that they be of the same mind in the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with others my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That would address Cal, uh, complainer. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That addresses Eddie emotional, all right? And be careful for nothing, which uh, addresses Willie worry. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That addresses Ned negative. And here we have lackey peace, verse 7. And the peace of God, which patheth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. As I continue to read, notice it was the peace of God there. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if they be, and if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace, before it was the peace of God, the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I'm going to have you go ahead and be seated before I pray tonight. Because you're taller than me and it kind of intimidates me. But anyway. So all of our power drains are addressed in these few verses. There are six things here that power drainers should be aware of. And again, this is in the context of a local church. God intends for men to be leaders in strength and in spirituality. Bringing energy and power to a church. Not just being those that take all the life out of it. I, I think it's kind of remarkable. Pastors, don't you? Most power drainers in a church, they just have a way of showing up Sunday morning before you preach. You know, most guys don't understand what's going on in a church on a Sunday morning or before any service. The pastor's there, he's going over his message, he's praying, he's trying to get his mind to be where it should be. And then comes cow complainer and lackey peace to enlighten the pastor and all the bad things that have been going on with the church people. Actually, it's the last thing the pastor wanted on his mind as he gets ready to preach. It really is. 
Some of you guys need to understand that. You say, well, the pastor needs to know. Well, there's a time. There's a time. And, uh, and so let's begin to see what Paul had to say about these special characters. Our desire is for you to go home and be what God wants you to be in a church. I don't want you to be anything phony. I don't want you to gin up something that's not real. But I'm telling you, if the Spirit of God lives in you, you have all the power that you need to bring to any service that you're a part of. And you ought to lend the power of the Spirit of God in you to that service. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight, God. I pray that you'd direct the service. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The church at Philippi was a good church and probably didn't have all these men that I've mentioned. Your church may not have all of them either, but you could. Maybe one or more of them are there. In fact, maybe one of them is you. What do you add to the operation of your church or what do you take away? And so let's begin looking at these things tonight that we were talking about. The first thing here that we read in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 1, we're told to stand fast in the Lord. Therefore, my dearly beloved, and long for my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. The verse begins with a therefore, so you know that it applies to something that's come before that. And at least we know that it has something to do with the two verses prior to that. So go back and look at that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, where it says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So we're told there our conversation is in heaven. The word for conversation carries the idea of administration. Did you know that? Our administration, our headquarters is in heaven. Now I love the United States of America. But I have and you have as a child of God a higher authority. Our authority is in heaven. By the way, it's that authority that gives our government its authority. Sad that our government steps outside the authority that God's granted it often. And so we're to have our conversation in heaven. That's where we look for our directions. And we're to be looking also for the Savior. That's what it says. We're to be looking for that promised return. Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, He said, I will come again and receive you unto Myself that where I am, there ye may be also. So we're to be looking toward heaven. Our gaze should be upon the Lord. You know, we, we believe in the, uh, the, the imminent return of Christ. We believe in the t- that we're in the time when we're to be li- lifting up our heads and looking up for our redemption draweth nigh. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because heaven is our headquarters, and because He's coming again, listen to this, therefore we need to stand fast. We need to stand fast in the Lord. One of the reasons Ron Restless can't stand fast is because, hey, he's self-focused. We talked a little bit about that this morning. 
If a church doesn't have, you know, the music program he wants or the youth program he wants or the activities he wants, he wants to go find one that does. And he, because he is self-focused, he will eventually need to find another church. It's like the guy that always has to have a new car. You know, a new car comes out, it's got a little more horsepower, or I'm in the wrong car. I'm in the wrong thing. A new truck has a little more horsepower or whatever. And uh, my, uh, one time I was on vacation with my son and uh, his family. We're driving through and my, we have my van and we pulled into a Burger King or McDonald's or something for breakfast. And every vehicle in there was a pickup truck. Just, we weren't in California anymore. But anyway. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway... You know, because he's self-focused, he's got to have something new all the time. You know, and as soon as something comes out in a church that's different, you know, he's looking for something different and something new. And it's sad that a lot of people are like that. They have no more loyalty to a church than they do to a car. Of course, some of you are really loyal to your car. You've had it way too long, but that's another story. <laughs> Standing fast requires us to keep our gaze on the Lord, and not just on Him but on His coming. One of the things that I have noticed, Brother Leidick, now that I'm older, is I remember when I was a kid that the old-time preachers had a way of making us believe the Lord could come back tonight. I mean, I'm telling you, we would be in those services. And I remember being in youth camp services and revival services. And as a kid, I was sure that night my Lord was coming back. I couldn't wait to get to the altar to get things right with God. But now, you know, I'm, I'm older now. I know better. Hey, he's still coming. He's still coming. And I'm telling you, you talk about some motivation. To get ourselves right, I mean, it's there. We're to stand fast. What does it mean? It means to stand firm. It means to persist. It means to not be a church hopper. It means to hang on to the old paths. Old paths. Thank God for your church that holds on to the old paths. I'm thankful. You know what? I, as I was studying and thinking about this, it just came to my mind again. I'm thankful that I grew up in a home where they stood fast. We were members of the same church growing up. I came back. I attended that church growing up. I went to college. I worked in a church in Southern California for a couple of years. And then I came back to work in my home church. Worked for eight years as the assistant. And then I became pastor. Almost 32 years now. My mom and my dad were charter members of this church. And, uh, you know, they're no longer, they don't have their membership there anymore because, well, they did until the day they died. <laughs> you know, my dad was faithful till the day he died back in 1986. My mom was faithful, a charter member faithful. At the end of her life, she was a little bit too sickly to come to church at times, but she died in 2012. But she had been a faithful member for 53 years. I'm thankful that I have that legacy you think about that man i tell you what i have a tremendous legacy in my family of standing fast and i'm not saying that everything was good i know that there were times when there was disagreements and all that kind of stuff with the pastor but you know what we didn't leave we stood fast i thank the lord for that kind of legacy and as we look here in the context you can't help but notice in the context of standing fast 
he addresses this problem in verse 2. I beseech Eudeus and beseech sympathy that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I'm saying to you, standing fast includes having the same mind. These two men in the church of Philippi had different minds. And God wasn't saying, or Paul wasn't writing and saying, listen, you two knotheads are not agreeing. One of you is going to have to stop, you know, your, your opinion and just compromise and go along with the other. He wasn't saying that at all. And uh, the only way that, you know, we're going to get along is if we all understand we've got to forget our own opinions and come to the mind of Christ. There's where the situation is. Standing fast does not mean you're bullheaded and can't get along. Some of you men have this idea that you're really manly because you're bullheaded. Jesus wasn't bullheaded. He was the most manly man there ever was. You think about it. How does a group of men with different life's experiences and and opinions get along? You know what happens in far too many churches? You have one man that's been around for a long time and he throws his opinion around and the rest of you just kind of... Okay. Okay. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It really isn't. And uh, the only way it's supposed to work is that we all come to the mind of Christ. And you know what? When you study the book of Philippians, you'll find that when, you find, talk, when it talks about the mind of Christ, you find that what he did is he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of, you, of the cross. Some of you men who think you're so smart and you're so experienced in just about everything, you know what, could use a good dose of self-humbling. I mean, can I say it plain? Is it okay? Just be, be plain about it. Far too many churches have all the power drained out of them because you've got some men that won't get along with each other. So they kind of just avoid each other in a service. Do you understand what that does? Let me ask this question. If two people are right with God, will they not be right with each other? And the problem isn't that other guy. The problem is this relationship right here. You're mad at that other person, but you know what? You need to get right with God. If you get right with God, you can get right with your brother. Stop waiting for them to make the first move. You make the first move. You go to him. Get it right with God. Get your mind to the mind of the Lord to stand fast. You look at verse 3, and in that same context, he said, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Kind of interesting, talking about yoke fellow and fellow laborers helping others. Paul's saying, hey, help those women who helped me. Help, they helped the man by the name of Clement. They helped other fellow laborers. And so it's a command to help those women meet their needs. Do what you can do to help them to be able to do the things that they're doing in the cause of Christ. Standing fast means to be helping those who are doing the work of God. Put your time and your talent and your resources into cooperating with the work of God. You know, some men are just so bad at working with others. You're just so, I just, you just, you just can't seem to work well with others. You know what? Some of you won't even work somebody else's plan. You'll have to have your own plan. I've got men like that in my church. 
We've had those, those things in our church. You know what? The problem is pride. The problem is pride. We come to the mind of Christ, we humble ourselves. So Ron Restless needs to plant himself right in the center of the will of God and stop moving around. Stand fast in the Lord. Faithful men are so important to the life and energy of a church. It's kind of hard to bring energy to church service when you're showing up late all the time, by the way. Just thought I would throw that one in for free. That wasn't even part of the whole thing. We need to stand fast. Guys, we need to stand fast. We need to have the same mind. It's the mind of Christ. It's not your mind. It's not my mind. It's the mind of Christ. We need to be fellow helpers. We need to work together with others. Wow. Look at this next one. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. To rejoice is to be glad. <laughs> I should stop right there for a minute and just let you soak that one in. It's a greeting to one another. It's the cause for the gladness. The cause for this gladness is the Lord. The all-powerful, long-suffering Lord to rejoice. Now, God has blessed me in my life. I have nine grandchildren. I had two children and nine grandchildren. Isn't that amazing? God's good to me. I haven't been able to live around all of them. Brother Jet and his family have never lived around me, and I understand. But anyway, God has had different plans. So I missed out a lot with those that I have not lived around. I love all of my grandchildren, and they're always, a, all of them, a blessing to me. I pray for them all the time. I do get to enjoy those who live around me more because they're there. It's the presence of them. My youngest grandson is 19 months old, and he lives around us. And he's at that perfect age. And it may not be that way, but he makes me believe that I'm his hero. You know? And when they start pulling on the church property, he starts going, Papa! Papa! And when he sees me, he comes running, Papa! 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 And sometimes he'll let me pick him up and he'll hug me. He'll put his, his head on my shoulder and hug me. Man, I can't tell you what that does for me. The others are a little older now. And that's not the way it is. You know, they kind of grow out of that stage. But he's at that stage that, man, he just, it's just an amazing thing. It, it, I'm, I guess it's just amazing. He smiles, he waves, he comes running, he hugs me. All you grandpas, you know what I'm talking about. Just does something to your heart. I know he'll grow out of it, but right now I'm just going to enjoy it and love it. Our exhortation is to rejoice in the Lord. To be glad, to greet him with joy. Remember one of the trips in Israel, we were around the Wailing Wall. And of course, you know, they speak Hebrew. <laughs> no shock. And there was a little boy going, Abba! Abba! And man, I'm telling you, that gripped my heart. Because that's supposed to be my name for him, my Heavenly Father. You know, I wonder how often does he hear me go, Abba, Father! Abba, Father, come running to rejoice to see him. Wow. 
You know, I said this, my little grandson will eventually grow out of it. You know, I don't want to grow out of rejoicing in my Lord. Let's just do a little survey in our lives. How often do we greet the Lord? Most often we greet him with whining and complaining. Probably more than the rejoicing. You know, Calvin, the complainer, misses out on so much. One of the things that amazes me is that my Lord could find the kind of joy from me that I find from my grandson. Just stop and think about that for a little bit. Do you talk to him during the day at all? I don't mean, you know, Lord, bless this coffee and donut, bless this hamburger and fries and steak and potatoes and help me not to get indigestion. I mean, do you greet him? By the way, if it's not important, why does he say it twice? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. If it's not important, why did he repeat that? We need to get in the habit of rejoicing in the Lord. We do. And, and you know, it's amazing because we got a lot going on in our lives. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not good. We have a lot of bad things on our mind, but it's good. It's a good release for us to stop and say, Abba, Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. It's amazing. Amazing. What kind of energy would you bring to your church on Sunday if you spent your Sunday morning greeting the Father on your way there instead of yelling at your wife? Think about that. What if you came into the service rejoicing in the Lord? Instead of dragging yourself to church and plopping yourself down and saying, okay, preacher, see what you can do with me. <laughs> you know, if you came in rejoicing in the Lord, what, what difference would that make? I mean, really, guys, this is a relationship. We say that to people, don't we? It's not about a religion. It's about a person. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Shame on you if you're too manly to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to rejoice in the Lord. The third thing here is in verse 5. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. A man of moderation is a man that has evenness of mind. He's not easily elated and he's not easily depressed. He sustains prosperity without excessive joy and he sustains adversity without agitation of the passions. Kind of interesting. In looking up the word moderation in Webster's 1828, you come across this word called equanimity. I didn't know what it meant either. This is where you get the definition of evenness of mind, evenness of mind. Again, that word means a calm temper that's not easily elated or depressed. To sustain prosperity without excessive joy and adversity, without violent agitation of the passions. Now I want you to think about this a little bit because it says, let your moderation be known unto all men. If you're going to be moderate, you need a moderator. And I just say that, I'll get back to that in a minute. But if you're going to be moderate, you need a moderator. You need someone to help you with this in this life. Paul knew what equanimity was. If you look at verses 11 and 12, again he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be, what? Content. I know both how to be abased 
and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Wow. Paul's saying, listen, guys, whatever state I'm in, I, I, I've learned. I've learned to be content. I, I know how to be abased. I know what it is when I have nothing. I know how to, I know how to live right in that. I know how to abound. He was instructed how to be full and to be hungry and to abound and to suffer need. You know what? It wasn't something that Paul drew on from his own personality. It's not a natural disposition that allows for this. It's something that requires the strengthening of the Lord. If you're going to be moderate, I'm just saying that, you need a moderator. And Paul talks about that moderator in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That verse, by the way, it's not a blank check. That's the way people use it. Well, we can do anything because God will strengthen us. That's not what that verse is teaching us. In context, Paul is saying, hey, listen, when things are good, hey, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I can handle that correctly through the power of Christ. When things are not good, hey, I can handle that as well through the power of Christ. I can do all things. I can be when in whatever state I'm in. I can be content because of the power of God in my life. Paul wasn't taking pills to keep him even keeled. He wasn't listening to the oldies but goodies to help him get by. No, when he abounded, he turned to the Lord for strength to handle that correctly. When he was abased, he turned to the Lord for strength to get through. Wow, Eddie Emotional is the way he is because, you know what, he does everything in his own strength. He does everything in his own strength. It's kind of like these baseball players today. I like baseball, but I don't like one of the things that's going on now in baseball. See, when somebody hits a home run, they trot around the bases like they're some kind of, you know, God. And then they get the home plate and they give a nod up to some kind of a baseball God in the sky. I don't know. But anyway, whatever they're, you know, doing and stuff and things. And I think Barry Bonds started it. And I, and I think because, you know, he, his dad had died and stuff like that, as if the power was coming from his dad and not the drugs. But anyway, that's another story. And uh, so when they excel, they praise some god of some sorts. But those same players, if the umpire calls them out on a pitch that they don't think is a strike, they're cussing and yelling and screaming. What, what, where's that God at? Do you get what I'm saying? It's a lot like a lot of us as Christians. Because we're relying on our own strength. Hey, you know, I can be happy when things are good. Not a problem. My, I'm tested more when things are bad. By the way, when things are good, I still need the strength of God. Because I start thinking, look what I've done. I got this down. You know, this pastoring stuff's not all that hard, Brother Inch. Things are going good, right? Things are going bad. Oh, God, I need you desperately. <laughs> I need him all the time. I need him all the time. And we need to learn that that's where our strength is. It's not found in the power of the flesh. Our life is not found in how things are going today. We have a relationship that supersedes everything that is going on. You know, I love my wife. When things are going good, I rejoice with her. When things get difficult, I find comfort in her. 
And that's an amazing relationship if you think about it. That's an amazing thing. Both of those things help me to correctly deal with whatever my situation in life is. My Lord, I love my Lord. And when things are good, I need to rejoice with Him. And when things are not so good, I need to rejoice in Him and find the strength I need to deal with whatever comes my way. I'm not a carpenter, but I do like carpenter tools. I'm impressed with them. We have some carpenters in our church, and I'm amazed when things need to get fixed around the church, they show up with these tools. Whoa. It's like no matter what the difficulty is, they've got a tool for that. And not just a tool, a power tool. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we all love that stuff, right? And, uh, and so, you know, no matter what it is, they have a tool to deal with. it. That's only a small comparison with my Lord. No matter what's going on, He has the tools to deal with it. It's amazing. We need to let our moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Think about that. That's kind of a, a neat thing to remind us that he could come at any time. But it's also a reminder that he's at hand. He's right there for it, whatever we need. The strength that we need in our life, he is right there. So let me close with this. I believe, Brother Rich, you correct me on this. Was it this last Sunday night that you had the, two, the young ladies or come to your church, a couple in the, in the early 20s, on a Sunday night showed up at his church First time there. I wonder what it would have been like if when they had come into his service, they looked around and, you know, it, the, the church's service is starting and there's some men standing out in the back still talking about the football game. They looked around and they saw some men over there and they're, in the singing service, they're sitting there like this, not with the songbook. Or I know some of you put it up on the wall, whatever it is, but you, you know, just not, pay, not engaged. They looked around. You know, nobody's singing, nobody's interested, there's no power. Hey, the preaching comes, and everybody just sits there. Preacher preaches on the blood of Jesus Christ. and Yeah. I mean, there's just no energy there. You know what happened? Those young ladies, after the service was over, walked forward and began to talk and got saved. They must have seen something in the service, Brother Wrench. Somebody must have said, hey, they must have looked around and said, you know what, these people have something. Am I right? These people believe in what they believe in. I mean, there's some energy there in the service. I think that's a great testimony. Listen, that's the way it ought to be. You never know when the lost are coming in and they're looking for something. And somebody said, hey, you know what? If you visit such and such church, you might find what you're looking for. Well, we just had an off service. We can't afford to have an off service. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to be bringing to the service what God wants us to bring. You know what? We need to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Wow, we need to. We need to get this thing back to where it needs to be. We need to stand fast. We need to rejoice. And we need to let our moderation be known unto all men. Let's have our heads bowed for prayer.